0: What is the hardest pokemon game ever made over the past six years i've dedicated myself to answering this question i've spent thousands of hours playing fan-made pokemon games but out of all the ones i tried none have come close to pokemon emerald kaizo there are over 400 mandatory trainer fights in this game enemies have much smarter ai much larger stronger and more diverse teams with competitive move sets and items and eventually you fight double battle gym leaders legendaries permanent weather effects, sometimes all three at the same time. And during all of this, the game gives the player access to very little good Pokemon and moves. The champions team has a Jirachi, a Deoxys, and a Mewtwo. But I wasn't just going to beat this game, I was going to hardcore Nuzlocke it. Which means I have to play with the following self-imposed rules. I can only catch the first Pokemon on every route, if a Pokemon faints, it's dead and I can't use it anymore, I have to play on set mode, I can't use any items in battle, I can't overlevel the next gym leader, and if my entire team faints and I white out, I have to start the entire challenge from the very beginning. Beating this challenge took me 151 tries and over 1,000 hours over the course of almost an entire year of my life. The video you're watching now, however, is the story of the legendary attempt 151. I do ridiculous challenges like these all the time on my channel. If you'd like to see more, consider subscribing. I'm Pokemon Challenges. I'm probably the best Nuzlocke in the world. And this is how I beat the Emerald Kaizo, Hardcore Nuzlocke. Chapter 1, Turbulence We begin by selecting Trico as our starter. Emerald Kaizo is interesting as all three starters are very viable, but I personally like Trico the most. It's decent on Roxanne and Flannery, and becomes extremely good late game if you abuse its overgrow ability and massive speed stat. You fight a ton of fast water Pokémon in late game, and Sceptile is one of the only consistent answers. It also gets Magical Leaf to consistently kill Bright Powder users, of which there are a ton. Can you tell that this is gonna be some real nerd shit? Emerald Kaiser Early Game is very encounter dependent. At this point, I'm literally almost a thousand hours into this challenge, and after a devastating loss in the Elite Four during attempt 77, haven't even made it past Gym Four because of how bad my early game luck has been. What a fantastic day, man. I had so much fun. The first encounter I roll is Route 103, and there are multiple really good ones here that can decide whether or not I make it past Brawly. Sunkern evolves into Sunflora and sweeps Brawly, sometimes Watson with growth setup. Spiro could evolve into Firo on Brawly and sweep by setting up its attack stat with Rage. However, on attempt 151, I get the best encounter on this route: the 1% Tailo.
1: Okay.
0: Tailo and Swallow get the Guts ability, which gives their physical moves 50% more damage when they're poisoned, burned, or paralyzed. They also get access to Facade, which has its power doubled if the user has a status effect. This is much higher raw damage output than anything else this early. Couple that with Swallow's massive speed stat and you have one of the best encounters in the entire game. The only downside is, you have to be poisoned or burned for this to activate. I simply do this by burning Swallow on a wild Pokémon before every fight. And yes, before you write that comment, Guts does ignore the attack drop from Burn. A swallow with good IVs and nature will sweep a lot of important fights. It's insane for Brawly, Watson, Flannery, the mid-game in general, and is a potential Pokemon for an Elite Four team. And this Talo named Pilot, has an attack-boosting nature as well as a high-speed IV. My hopes for this run are now very high. It feels like the end of a drought. The pressure is on to bring this Talo past Roxanne safely, but first, I'll collect some more encounters. Route 102 gives me a Hoot Hoot. Decent for Brawly, garbage otherwise. The standard play now is to fish for Azuril and Petalburg. Azumarill gets Charm and is essential for Brawly and his gym trainers. Great early game tool. I don't level my Azurill past level 5 here so that I can use it to manipulate my Oldale Town encounter. You see, when you repel, you ward off all enemy Pokémon below your lead Pokémon's level. The different encounters in Oldale have different level distributions, and I want to use that to my advantage. By repelling with a level 5 Azurill up front, I increase my chance of getting Nummel or Slugma, which are much better early game than the other options. I end up getting Slugma, which is my preferred encounter here. Okay. In Emerald Kaizo, Slugma evolves at level 16, so within our Roxanne level cap and gets access to Recover, making it an amazing tool for the first gym. I always fish for Magikarp on Route 104 because none of the regular encounters are good long-term, and Gyarados is really useful as soon as you make it past Roxanne. I pick up Oddish in Petalburg Woods and Makuhita on Route 116. Pretty standard encounters. On Route 115 I can fish for a chance of either Kabuto or ammonite and I hit maybe the best possible Kabuto. Extremely high speed, and the Battle Armor ability. The other ability is Swift Swim, which is nice for the rain sections in late game, but Battle and Shell Armor are extremely useful abilities in this Nuzlocke that you'll be seeing again and again. They prevent critical hits from happening on your Pokémon. This means you don't have to switch them out if they are in danger of dying to a crit. In a long gauntlet of a game like Emerald Kaizo, you can almost never risk getting hit by a crit unless your other options are even riskier. Essentially, Battle and Shell Armor Pokémon get to safely stay in on your opponents and deal damage for much longer than those that can get crit. This Kabuto is a fantastic Pokémon for Roxanne's gym. And now, I face the biggest obstacle left in the early game of this run. If I make it past here without too many bad losses, Taylo should carry us to mid-game. As a reminder, Out of my 150 lost attempts, 19 were lost to Roxanne. One or two unlucky moments will send you home faster than that bouncer at the bar that told 15 year old me that a Club Nintendo membership was quote, not a legal form of ID. But before I look at the Roxanne fight, let's get a little better of an understanding of how the enemy AI in Pokemon Emerald actually works. Here's Pokemon world champion Wolfie VGC to give you a basic rundown.
1: Okay, so imagine I'm the trainer AI in Pokemon Emerald. Here's how I make my decisions. First of all, I really don't like switching Pokemon, so forget about that ever happening. Additionally, in Emerald Kaiza specifically, your enemies don't use items, so just imagine I'm always on the fight option in the menu. Here's how I pick my moves. The key thing to understand is that at all times, I know your Pokemon's exact stats, and therefore can calculate exactly how much damage each of my moves will do. However, damage in Pokemon is random, any move can do between 85 and 100% of its maximum damage at any time. So, I will calculate a random damage roll on each of my moves, and then pick whichever move did the most damage. If one of my moves rolled enough damage to kill your Pokemon, I will always pick that move no matter what. Actually, Pokemon don't die, they just faint. If multiple moves roll to kill, I will randomly choose between them no matter how much damage they did. I'm also pretty likely to pick non-damaging moves, depending on the HP of my Pokemon and your Pokemon. If my Pokemon is low HP, I'm more likely to pick a healing move, or a self-destructing one, like Explosion. Also, if my Pokemon are slower than you, I really like using moves that slow you down, like Rock Tomb or Thunder Wave. I'll essentially never use non-damaging moves if I see a kill. If we're fighting in a double battle, I'll randomly pick one of your Pokemon to do damage rolls on. So, I might attack a Pokemon that takes less damage over one that takes more. That is, unless I see a kill on one of your Pokemon and not the other. In that case, I'll always go for the kill. Thank you, Wolfie.
0: Roxanne leads with a nose pass. This Pokemon is extremely difficult to deal with, as it boasts a Citrus Berry and an extremely high defense stat, as well as disrupting moves and self-destruct. The basic strategy is to chip it with a weaker move so it stays above 50% health, avoiding the citrus berry, and then killing it with a stronger move. No Pokémon you can catch before Roxanne one-shots Nosepass. However, I don't have one that effectively two-shots it either. My only option is Grovile, but I need Grovile to handle her Lunatone. I decide that my best option here is Makargo. My basic plan was to simply burn the Nosepass with Will-O-Wisp and then stall it out with recovers until Nosepass can easily be killed by Kabuto. However, I get haxed to hell and back here by Attract and thunder Wave because Makargo is a goddamn simp. I only get one move off before I have to switch Makargo out. My Makargo is now basically useless as a Leap Counter and I have to send in Kabuto on the Nosepass. But I fail to kill it, losing HP on Kabuto and getting it paralyzed. Both my Anorith and my Lalip counters are severely hindered, and I haven't even dealt with her Nosepass yet. This is really bad. Luckily, Nosepass blows up on my switch which leaves Meryl alive, thanks to the attack drop from Burn. I can then switch Gloom into Lalip on an incoming Giga Drain. Because my cargo is so low, I have to go for a desperation strategy to beat Lalip. Normally, a death or two on Roxanne means that the run is so bad that I need to reset, but Tail offsets the balance quite a lot here, and I'm willing to take some risks and make some sacrifices. I Toxic the Lalip with Gloom and begin switching around between Makuhita and Gloom. As we learned earlier, the AI chooses moves by rolling damage against what's in front of it and choosing the move that dealt the most damage, so Lalip wants to Giga Drain Makuhita, which Gloom takes, and it wants to Ancient Power Gloom, which Makuhita takes. This way, I can take minimal damage per turn while stacking up Toxic on Lalip. However, Lalip not only gets every single one of its stats raised with Ancient Power, but also crits Makuhita. I have to finish the Leap with Gloom and Toxic damage, and now everyone but my Grovyle is at critical health. This is looking really grim. Lunatone comes out on Gloom, and I have to immediately go to Grovyle, risking a crit or getting confused by Confusion. Luckily, the AI rolls low on the Rock Slide damage, not only letting Grovyle survive, but putting it into Overgrow. This is the Trico Line's ability that boosts your Grass-type moves by 50% if you are at a third or less of your HP. Because it's an Overgrow, Grovyle can now safely kill the Lunatone. Anorith now comes in, and I need to get Kabuto back out. Sadly, I can't guarantee what move Anorith goes for here because Grovyle is low HP, and the AI sees a kill with all of Anorith's moves. Remember, AI will always choose a move if it sees a kill with it, but since all of its moves are able to kill, it will pick one randomly. The only way to get Kabuto in without taking more damage is by sacrificing Gloom and resetting the tempo in my favor. Even one death on Roxanne is really bad, but again, I have the Talo. But even this sacrifice doesn't get us out of the woods yet. The Anorith has Brick Break, so if Kabuto gets fully paralyzed this turn, I can't kill the Anorith and probably lose the fight. But... OKAY! I then decide to try to hit through another paralysis on the Relicanth, because all other plays are too risky, and HO OH SHIT! actually crit the Relicanth. Meryl then charms down Shuckle, which starts rolling out. I try to block the damage with Makuhita, but get crit. Remember that crits ignore attack drops and defense boosts. Kapito is then luckily able to take out Shuckle, and gets us our first gym bad. Two deaths on Roxanne is normally a reset, but this one is about to kick into overdrive. Chapter 2, Flight of the Phoenix I pick up a Shell Armor Clamp Pearl east of Dewford, which is excellent for Brawley's Gym Trainers. I also catch a Rhyhorn and Ruster of Tunnel, which is a pretty good mid-game encounter. And this Brawley fight will be brought to you by NordVPN. If you don't have one of the Route 103 sweepers, this is the hardest fight of the early game, but luckily, I have the best of the best. Taylo. Taylo's Facade can one-shot Brawley's Hitmonchan, Lee, and Meditite. However, he leads with a Hitmon top, which blocks the potential Taylo sweep. Sort of how a website might block you from enjoying content via geo-blocking. I need to do a little more damage to this Hitmontop so Talo can one-shot it, but also make sure that it doesn't do too much damage to Talo when he comes in. I achieved this by seamlessly switching between Gyarados and Rhyhorn who take turns taking Rock and Fighting moves, while Gyarados can continually stack Intimidate attack drops on Hitmontop, switching almost as seamlessly as I would between any of the 5200 plus servers in 59 different countries that NordVPN offers. With Hitmon Top and minimum attack and chipped HP, I can safely switch over to Talo and start my sweep. What really enables this is not just the insane damage output but also its fantastic speed, not unlike the faster connection Nord offers with Nord links. We can then take the free kills on the three Hitmons and Metatite. Hitmonchan and Metatite both have priority moves in the form of Mach Punch and Fake Out, but they will never select them as Brawly sees their rock moves as being a kill. Polyrath comes out next. Here's a question What do your data on public Wi-Fi networks and pilot the Talo have in common? That's right. Both need to be protected. In your data's case, a VPN will help hide what domains you're visiting, specifically from any network administrators in control of the public Wi Fi you're using at an airport or your school, for example. In Talo's case, Noctowl will protect it from the Polywrath by coming in and two shotting it with Aerial Ace. The only thing left on Brawley's team now is his Hariyama. I can weaken its attack with Gyarados and then go to Clamperl. Clamperl's shell armor blocks any of Hariyama's crits, just like Nord's Cybersec suite blocks ads. Clamperl takes down Hariyama. Tailo has helped us unlock more of the Hoenn region, just like NordVPN allows you to unlock content from other regions. Your favorite streaming site has so much more to offer if you browse from outside of your country. Thanks to Taylor for enabling an otherwise incredibly hard to achieve zero death brawly, and thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring this video. Make sure to head down to the link in the description to get a discount on your first two year membership. You might not need a VPN right now, but if you do, think of Pilot, think of Brawly, and code Pokemon challenges. I breeze through the newly added ice puzzle in Granite Cave, clap my rival north of Slateport, and catch a fan bee in Verdanturf Town. I go back to Little Route to fish for my Goodrod encounter and get a Poliwhirl. Watson is another huge reset point in this challenge. Normally, without Volt Lantern, my win rate is less than 7% here. All these Thunderbolts send you home faster than me after the Judge acquitted me of all my charges of Tax Rod. Now, Swellow is extremely good for the Watson fight, but it doesn't guarantee us a win. It outspeeds on KO's Raichu, Electabuzz, and Manic Trick, and does a massive chunk to his Ampharos. This will be the basic strategy that I can build the rest of the fight around. Watson leads Jolteon, which I can use Cacturn on. He's one of the worst Jolteon counters out there, but he does get the job done, and he resists all of his moves. Cacturne comes out of the exchange with low health though, so Lantern is using a random move. The safest play is to sacrifice Cacturne. It's fine though, this Pokemon is very bad at this point. I can now kill Lantern with the following strategy. I send out my Donphan, which has battle armor. Donphan tanks one Surf from Lantern and uses Endeavor, which brings down the target to the same HP as the user. Lantern can now potentially Ice Beam, so I need to pivot through Dugong to guarantee a Thunderbolt, as I switch in my Grovile, who can then finish Lantern. If Grovile had gotten paralyzed here, the Cherry Berry it's holding would have saved me. Next is Ampharos. I send my Seeking in to tank the Fire Punch. Notice that I poisoned Seeking before this fight so it wouldn't get burned on this switch. I couldn't have given it a Ross Berry because it needed to be holding Soft Sand to increase its damage. Otherwise, it doesn't safely set up for a Swallow kill. I intentionally sacrifice Seeking to bring Swallow in for free. It can then take out Ampharos, Electabuzz, and Raichu. Manactor comes out and... I have a realization. So... I think I forgot about Intimidate. So this is a 93.8% range. I thought I would go to 31. I mean, I really have no other play, right? I mean, there was no other play. Even if I knew that that was a range, I would still always go for this. Pivot to Donfen does exactly nothing. Yeah, there is no other play. I literally have to do exactly this. And there was no other play in team building or whatever. We just got to hope here, boys. Prage! 93%. Easy. Wasn't even worried. Mid-game, baby! Woo! 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 This, this run is so fucking weird. <laughs> I have four deaths, I have no VA, and somehow this is still like an eight out of 10 run. The power of swallow, boys. After Watson, I pick up some more important encounters like Shell Armor Torkoal, which will greatly help with the upcoming Sun Sections. After fighting my way through the Magma Gauntlet on Route 114, I get to the top of Mount Chimney and fight Admin Tabitha. He has a menacing team of Dodrio, manicric Weezing, Agron, Flygon, and Arcanine. Gutswallow can deal with the Dodrio here. Here's where I use the Emerald AI to my advantage a little bit more. You see, in this game, enemies don't just send their Pokémon out in the order that they're put in their team, rather there's some internal logic at work. Here's famous YouTuber and pet bird enthusiast Jaden Animations to explain how it works.
2: So imagine you're facing me in a battle, and I'm acting according to the Emerald AI. Your Bulbasaur just killed my Rotata, and I have three Pokemon left on my team. A Pidgey with Tackle, a Charmander with Ember, and a Squirtle with Ice Beam. What a talented trainer I am! To decide who I'll bring in next, I'll now consider the following questions. 1. Do I have a Pokemon with a super effective move on Bulbasaur? I do! Charmander with Ember, and Squirtle with Ice Beam. So now I go on to question 2. Which one of these Pokemon types is weakest to your Bulbasaur? Charmander is a fire type, whereas Squirtle is weak to Bulbasaur's grass type. That's right, Charmander is no longer considered and I send out Squirtle next. Only if multiple Pokemon fulfill these conditions will I decide based on my team's order. Why do I want to send in Pokemon that are weak to your Pokemon's type rather than ones that resist it? No one really knows, it could be a bug in the code, it could be intentional to make the games a bit easier, maybe computers just don't get Pokemon, I don't know. All you need to know is the Pokemon with the most effective move and the least effective typing gets sent out first.
0: Thank you, Jaden. Let's get back to Tabitha to see us abuse this behavior in action. Tabitha has four Pokémon on our team with super effective moves on Swellow. Trick, Aggron, Flygon, and Arcanine. However, both Trick and Agron resist Swellow's flying type and are no longer considered as a switch-in. Flygon and Arcanine both take neutral damage from normal and flying attacks, so it now goes in team order. I know that Flygon will come out after killing Dodrio, netting us another free KO. Next up is Arcanine, who intimidates Swellow, who can now no longer kill. Fire types in particular are very hard to deal with in Emerald Kaizo. Overheat is buffed to be a recoil move instead of lowering your special attack, and they almost always carry electric and or grass type moves as coverage. Extreme Speed is also buffed to 100 base power. This Arcanine is so scary. And this is where Torkoal comes in. Its massive defense stat, fire resistance, and immunity to crits allows it to kill this Arcanine with two earth powers. Next comes Manectric. I switch Parasectin to tank the Hidden Power Water or Thunderbolt that Manectric can go for here and bait an Overheat. Whiskash easily takes it and scores a clean kill. Wanting to kill Whiskash with Hidden Power Grass, Tabitha sends out Weezing, which I can easily answer with Macargo. The rock typing means I don't have to be afraid of it blowing up, I can just burn it and keep myself healthy with Recover. Lastly, there is a rockhead Aggron with Head Smash. This monster of a Pokémon does so much damage, but Polyrath is a very consistent answer here. The only way I die is if he gets a Quick Claw Rock and a crit. But Tabitha is only the opening act for the main event, Maxi, one of the hardest mid-game fights. He sports a Registeel. A Crobat, a Claydol, an Alakazam, a Dusclops, and a Houndoom. My Golem, Graveler evolves via level up in this game, Tuakyo is Registeel with Earthquake, doesn't get exploded on, and brings out Houndoom. Maxi's arguably scariest Pokémon. Houndoom is buffed quite a bit in this game. If you didn't pick Torchic as your starter, countering this demonic canine can be extremely tricky. Golem is so good here because he usually baits the hinn power Grass, which is the easiest move to switch into. Normally, this would make a switch to Swellow extremely easy, however, or Golem ended up having bad special defense, meaning that Houndoom sees a kill with both Hidden Power and Crunch. Knowing this could happen, if Registeel high rolled Golem, I brought Corsola as a backup plan. This Pokemon is extremely useless and can be sacrificed for a clean switch to Swallow, which can then proceed to get a kill on both Houndoom and the incoming Alakazam. Claydol is up next, and it's a little bit too bulky for Swallow to kill, so I instead switch to Absol for free on the incoming Psychic and can then kill with two Shadow Balls. Dusclops, sees seismic Toss tosses a super effective move and comes in next. Dusclops is also extremely buffed in this game, but Golem can handle it. Crobat then gets handled by Makargo, one of its only true counters at this point. I got very lucky with my encounters for this maxi fight. Lava Ridge has another very important encounter with the y Not Egg. Wobbuffet is one of the standard Elite Four Pokemon for this run and I hatch a pretty good one. Lava Ridge Gym has permanent sunny weather. I guess Flannery had the roof taken off or something? Anyway, this means in all fights, water moves have their damage halved, fire moves have their damage increased by half, and solar beams fire instantly. Emerald Kaiza does not give the player access to any weather moves at any point in the game, so overriding it is out of the question. This is probably one of the single hardest sections in the game. The sun and the fact that all these trainers have fire types with solar beam and exceptional coverage as well as chlorophyll grass types means your water types are pretty much useless here. Luckily, though, I have Swellow. It can outspeed and kill so many things here. I also utilize a similar strategy with Gut's Hitmonchan that can take a lot of kills with Earthquake and Sky Uppercut. The final trainer of the gym is Expert Keegan. He's considered by many Emerald Kaiser runners to be the most difficult non-boss fight in the game, as he has both a Chlorophyll Victory Bell with 100% accurate gunk shot, and a Houndoom with devastating sun-boosted overheats. Luckily, I have the one consistent counter to this victory bell in Shell Armor Torkoal. Polyrath can handle the houndoom. Flannery herself is a very polarizing gym leader in Emerald Kaizo. You either have a Pokemon that can sweep most of her team, or she's the hardest gym leader in the game that'll send you back home faster than my flight instructor did me after I told him that I wanted to get my Pilots license because of my immense interest in researching Steel Beam integrity. As well, with high enough attack, cleanly outspeeds and kills every member of her team except for Arcanine, which intimidates you. However, Despite Swallow's nature being attack boosting, its attack IV was quite low. Pilot only has an 85% chance to kill Blaziken here, even with Silk Scarf and after leveling up in the fight. Because Emerald Kaiser removes the ability of the player to gain EVs, this is the most damage I can possibly do. I have to take the risk as I have no other option and I lose way too much tempo in my sweep if I switch out. One in eight for this to survive. One in eight for the run to die. Okay! With Blaziken dead, I can now navigate around Arcanine. It's easy to kill with both Heat Wave and Wild Charge on Swellow, so Whizcash is a good switch in. Whizcash in turn now baits Arcanine into using exactly Solar Beam as this is the only move that kills. Gyarados can come in on the Solar Beam, guaranteeing a Wild Charge. With Wild Charge being guaranteed, Dawn Fan can now safely swap in. Tank a Solar Beam without risking a crit, and Endeavor Arcanine down to low health. I can then switch in Rapidash on the guaranteed heat wave for Solar Beam and kill Arcanine with a drill run. Because Gyarados intimidated Arcanine, the AI would never see a kill with extreme speed here, even if Rapidash had gotten crit. Rapidash then baits out Charizard because it sees a super effective Earthquake. This gives us a free switch back to Swellow and I can complete the sweep. This fight is the highest point in the game for Swellow as an encounter. Being good on Brawly and Watson is nice, but no other Pokemon in the game can do what Swellow does on this fight. A zero-death flannery is close to impossible otherwise. Chapter 3. And make it double. Obtaining the go goggles gives us access to the desert and with that mirage tower where maybe the single most important encounter in the game awaits us. The top floor of the tower has a guaranteed bagon. This bagon can evolve into Salamence once I get the next gym badge and will be featured in almost every battle from that point onward. Rolling good stats on this is incredibly important. To maximize our catch rate, I lead with a pre-damaged Donphan to endeavor Bagon as low as possible. I catch it, check its stats, and that's naughty 31 attack. What the fuck? No shot, boys! 25 HP too, 13 speed is fine. This is the Godman's. Holy shit. This is incredible news. Not only does it have the maximum possible attack stat, Naughty is also the perfect nature as you don't want to reduce your special attack with Adamant. Salamence uses Dragon Claw and Flamethrower quite frequently in both her special moves in this game. Getting either Naughty or Lonely is optimal. This run is officially insane. Norman is a double battle and leads with a terrifying strategy. His goal is to skill swap his own Slacking with his Espeon to remove Slacking's otherwise debilitating True End ability and make it a full threat with the stats of a legendary Pokemon. However, there's a very consistent strategy for beating him, and he's probably the easiest gym leader in the game because of it. You see, Norman has a Snorlax whose only damaging move is Snore. It can use this after putting itself to sleep with rest, but if you manage to have him send this out as early as possible, and just never damage it, you can completely focus on the other side of the battle and are essentially playing a 2v1 the entire time. The tricky part is getting Snorlax out early. As you can see, its only damaging move is a normal type move, which doesn't hit anything super effectively so baiting it out seems impossible. However, there's another quirk in the Emerald AI I can abuse here. Here's famous YouTuber and wildlife expert Tierzoo to explain. So, imagine you're fighting
3: me in a Pokémon battle, and I'm behaving just like the Emerald AI would. Your Eevee just killed my Rattata, and I have the following team. A Charmander with Ember, a Pikachu with Thunderbolt, and a Squirtle with Water Gun and Tail Whip. None of my Pokémon have a super effective move against your Eevee, so the usual process that we learned from Jaden earlier does not apply. In this case, however, I will not simply send in the next inline Charmander, but instead, go into what's called Phase 2. I will look at the Pokémon I just lost, Rattata, and consider its typing. I will then look at my team and see if any of them have a move of that type, in this case, Normal. This works even for moves that don't do any damage, so I will notice that Squirtle has Tail Whip, and send it as my next Pokémon. Let's make things a little more complicated, and consider a double battle situation with similar teams. You have an Eevee and a Butterfree out, and just killed my Rattata. The process for me is the same here, except I have two Pokémon on your side to consider. To figure out which Pokémon to base my decision on, I will simply flip a coin. In this example, if the coin lands on heads for the left side, I will choose Eevee, and the logic will be the same as in our single battle example. Squirtle will come out. If the coin lands on tails, I choose the right side, Butterfree, which will make me see Ember as a super effective move, and I will send out Charmander. Whether Charmander or Squirtle is sent out in this case is dependent on RNG and not fully predictable for you, as
0: you don't know beforehand where my coin will land. Let's see how this applies to Norman's team. Espeon is a psychic type, and the only psychic type move on Norman's team is Snorlax's rest. In order to consistently get Snorlax out as soon as possible, I would need to kill Espeon in a situation where neither of the two Pokemon I have out on the field are hit super effectively by his Kangaskhan, Swellow, or Tauros. No matter where the coin lands, Norman will not see a super effective move go into phase 2, and want to send out Snorlax because he sees the Psychic typing. That's the Norman strat. At the same time, you also need to avoid the enemy slacking and killing you with its enormous attack stat. Let's see how I achieve this on run 151 in particular. We lead Swellow and Blastoise, both of which are not weak to any of the move typings Norman has in the back. Blastoise flinches slacking with Fake Out, and Swellow takes out the Espeon, bringing out Snorlax. We're in a 2v1 and Slaking is loafing around the next turn. I have ample time to do massive damage to Slaking with Swellow as I get Blastoise out for Guts Hitmonchan. Swellow kills Slaking, and because in Gen 3 double battles you instantly switch in a new Pokémon after one dies, Hitmonchan gets a free attack off on the incoming Swellow, almost killing it. My Swellow outspeeds speeds and finishes Norman Swellow, and Hitmonchan kills the incoming Kangaskhan. Tauros sees a kill on Swellow and not on Hitmonchan so I know he will always target Swellow slot. I can switch out Swellow for Dawn Fan while safely going for the 1-2 Sky Uppercut into Mach Punch combo with Hitmonchan. All I have to do now is PP stall the Snorlax and the fifth gym badge is mine. After Norman, I get Surf, so I can catch a ton more encounters. Notable here is Swift Swim Relicanth, a strong contender for the Elite Four team, and Kingra, who is extremely consistent with a phenomenal defensive typing. There is a problem with the encounter routing now though. Getting Relicanth here m- means I missed my last chance to catch a Quillfish at a low enough level where it hasn't yet learned Explosion. Wolfish is an incredibly useful encounter and I'm no longer guaranteed to catch one. Not only that, but trying to catch it is extremely dangerous now because its explosion can kill not only itself, but also the Pokémon I'm trying to catch it with. Notice how I haven't used Septile at all? This is because having Swellow in the mid-game allowed me to delay my Growvile evolution, giving me access to Leaf Blade before the Winona level cap. I can use this in combination with intentionally damaging Septile before a fight to one-third of its HP to get into Overgrow range and one-shot a bunch of things in Weather Institute. Even stuff like Melodic just gets obliterated here. The AI works in my favor too, as it wants to send in Pokémon with Ice Beam or Bug moves that are as weak to grass as possible, which means that Sceptile usually gets two or more kills at the start of a Team Aqua fight. This is why I picked Trico. A lot of the trainers around Fort Free City have weird movesets that are a little annoying to play around, but usually pose no big threat to my team. A misplay on my part gets me a pretty unlucky death here. I use Hitmonchan to deal with this trainer's Shedinja. However, Shedinja has a Focus Band which gives it a 10% chance to survive lethal damage. I hit the Shedinja while Hitmonchan is in crit range and my opponent hits the 1 in 160. It's unlucky, but I knew both about the Focus Band and the crit range beforehand and I should have played around this. But the sloppy losses don't end here. My plan to take out this trainer slacking in Winona's gym was to teach my Pidgeot fly and just fly up on the turn he attacks, but... well... Pidgeot for slacking? Am I fast enough? Yeah, I'm fast enough. Okay. I didn't teach fly. Oh, I'm so sorry, Pidgeot. I must've been eating a chicken sandwich when planning for this fight or something. Now, Winona. This is maybe my favorite fight in the entire game. It seems terrifying at first. It really tests your knowledge of the AI and double battle mechanics, and there are so many diverse strats that can get you through this fight. It feels so satisfying to outnavigate all three legendary birds in double battles and not lose a single Mon. If you don't prepare perfectly, however, she will send you home faster than the ticket attendant at AMC that told me I wouldn't be able to go see Cars 3 because my shirt was, quote, inappropriate, even though I had explained to her that I thought I just want the cussy was just them misspelling the word Gucci and besides, other theaters let me bring a bucket of sausage water all the time because it's clearly a drink, which it states on the AMC website you are legally allowed to bring in, but then there was a line forming behind me and people were like, hey, what's all the hold up? Why does it smell so much like hot dogs? So I turn around and I yell, it's my goddamn right as an American to drink three gallons of bratwurst broth to the showing of the sequel of my favorite animated movie franchise, if I so please, but then people started throwing their M&Ms at me and some of it got in my eye and when it it caused my infection to fire back up, and so I call my doctor and she's like, slow down, what the hell is a cussy? The main problem in this fight is Articuno. Most Pokemon that one-shot Articuno get outsped and one-shot by Articuno itself with HP Grass or an Ice move. The core strategy on Winona is then to try to bait out the Articuno and target the slot it is being sent into before it can even get an attack off, just like I did with Kangaskhan on Norman. Let me introduce you to the key piece in the Winona strategy, a Wimpy Parasect will help us bring down her mighty team of legendary birds in this fight. He's not actually going to ever attack, but he will be tasty, tasty bait that I will dangle in front of her Pokemon to manipulate the AI into behaving exactly how I want it to. So I lead with Parasect and Golem. Winona sees a kill on Parasect, but the flying moves of both of her lead Pokemon sees no kill on Golem. She will therefore always attack Parasect's slot, and I can safely switch him out for Rideon, while Golem lets out a massive head smash, removing Zapdos from the field. Both of my Pokemon are the same type now, so I don't care where Winona's coin lands for deciding her switch in target. She will always send out Flygon because she sees a super effective grass move. Everything is going exactly to plan at this point. I'm expecting Earthquake and Hidden Power Grass, and switch out for two Pokemon that can take both, Parasect and Salamence. Salamence gets a vital Intimidate on Aerodactyl and can now begin setting up the Articuno kill. again. Winona sees a kill with both of her Pokemon on Parasect, with HP flying and Flamethrower respectively, and Salamence is safe from attacks this turn. I switch Parasect out for Kabutops, who will tank both of these moves, while Salamence prepares for a kill on Flygon with Air Slash. Dragon Claw is technically more damage, but a crit from Dragon Claw will kill Flygon early, which would mess up my strategy completely. I want Flygon to die the turn after this. Additionally, Air Slash has a chance to flinch, which can save Kabutops some HP. Aerodactyl earthquakes again, but thanks to intimidate and battle armor, Kabutops is pretty safe. Salamence kills Flygon, and having Kabutops and Salamence guarantees that Winona goes to either Articuno or Moltres, depending on where the coin lands here. Both of which will take massive damage and slow down from the Rock Tomb Kabutops is targeting the Flygon slot with. I prefer her to send an Articuno here though, and that's exactly what happens. Salamence is now faster than the slowed down Articuno and not dead to Ice Shard. I have a safe kill with Rock Slide while Kabutops can Rock Tomb the Pokemon coming in on Articuno's slot. After bringing Cobbletops to safety with a mildly risky scissor switch, I can eventually kill Aerodactyl and Crobat. This leaves Moltres, which just gets completely outmaneuvered by switching between Rhydon and Parasect baiting kills as Mence takes out Winona's final Pokemon and gets us our sixth gym badge. This would feel so sweet. This Easy could have been a zero death Winona split, which is insane. Whatever, Men. One of my favorite split of the game. That's all that matters. By the way, if you'd like to start running this game for yourself, I highly recommend joining my Discord. I have a dedicated channel to EK Nuzlocking that has all the relevant resources and a ton of people willing to help you out. Link is in the description. Also, subscribe while you're down there. Chapter 4. A world on fire. And water. There's, there's also water. Don't put all of that on the title card. In Lily Cove City, I place a Minesweeper, fishing for my quillfish encounter. But well, unlucky. I go a minus two in encounters. We're officially in what is considered the second hardest section of the game, just beyond the Elite Four. Team Magma Hideout. This place is Flannery's Gym, but the creator did some experimental mix of DMT and leaded gasoline before putting together the trainers. You face far more powerful Pokémon with way more RNG-heavy items. Focus Bands, Bright Powders, Quick Claws are everywhere. On average, one Pokémon per team can explode, some of them with Choice Bands. Several trainers have unusual AI patterns that can trip you up. It's considered an initiation ritual in Emerald Kaizo to lose either your Salamence or your entire run to this place. You fight 16 fully stacked rounds and two boss fights in this godforsaken cave. I myself had essentially lost two attempts here. The Pokemon that helped the most in this section are chlorophyll grass types that get double speed in the sun, flygon, ghost types, and shell armor Torkoal. Of all of these, I have exactly one. This section basically requires you to sacrifice Pokemon. Sacrificing your Pokémon is strong because it allows you to reset tempo in your favor within a fight. Get in a Pokémon for free you otherwise wouldn't be able to get in undamaged. If you're not doing that, you're probably playing too risky and are making mistakes. You get a lot of encounters in EK, and you want to start using the bad ones as a resource to protect your better encounters starting at this point. In the end, all you can bring to the Elite Four are Six Pokémon anyway. Let's look at the fight against Infamous Grunt Six. His Torkoal has a Quick Claw, Heat Wave, Explosion, Solar Beam, and Earthquake. If this couldn't explode, Salamence would easily deal with this. Normally, what I would do in this situation is to manipulate the AI in a way where it will send out its Pokemon with Explosion last. If the enemy has no other Pokemon left, he can never choose Explosion if he has any other move. Unfortunately, Magmar Grunt 6 has a jump buff with no damaging moves which can never be baited up before Torkoal. He will always have this in the back of his team, and Torkoal will always be able to blow up. None of our Pokémon can live all four moves without risking Quick Claw, so I decide to risk the most expendable Pokémon, Azumarill. Torkoal explodes on turn one, taking down Azumarill and itself. There's no safe way for me to play around this death, but like I said, you can utilize strategic sacrifices like this starting in Magma Hideout to keep your important Pokémon safe. Later, Choice Band Explosion kills my Macargo with a crit. Had I gotten a Ghost-type in Mampire, this Kledal would have been completely free, but as it is, I have to risk the crit here. But that's it. That's all I lose to Magma Grunts and Hideout, which is actually kind of insane all things considered. Both of these Pokemon are very expendable beyond this point and I can move into Admin Courtney with my spirits incredibly high. In the Glaring Sun, Courtney rolls up with the following team. Charizard, Castform, Regirock, Kangaskhan, Venusaur, and Salamence. I lead with Swellow because of course I do, one-shotting her Charizard and bringing out Venusaur. The sweep is stopped here because Venusaur's chlorophyll ability makes it faster than Pilot. Torkoal is the only decent consistent counter I have to this monster of a Pokemon, so I switch it in, tanking the incoming Weather Ball. Torkoal gets put to sleep, but I'm prepared for this eventuality with a Chesto Berry. Torkoal now just needs to hit a 75% range, which it does. Kangaskhan comes in next. It carries Fake Out, which the AI will pretty much always go for if it doesn't see a kill. I can safely switch Donphan to the low damage Fake Out, and use our patented Endeavor strat to bring Kangaskhan down to low HP. Pivoting through Rhydon allows a safe switch back to Swellow on Kangaskhan's Earthquake, and gives me two kills on both Kangaskhan and Castform. Courtney now puts her massive Regirock between her and my Swellow, and Pilot needs to exit his plane as soon as possible. Rhydon comes in on the Ancient Power, luckily avoiding the 10% boost. I know that Regirock can either use Counter or Earthquake here. However, Rhydon really falls off after this point, and is kind of outclassed by Golem anyway, so I'm very much willing to risk it to keep better encounters safe. It deals a massive blow to the Legendary, and goes down heroically to Counter. Scizor can now come in and revenge kill Regirock, baiting Flamethrower from her last Pokemon, Salamence. Our cast form can now safely switch in and Ice Beam the Salamence down. The way to Maxi 2 is wide open. Maxi 2 is considered by most players to be the hardest non Elite 4 fight in the game. A single crit on this fight will destroy most teams going up against him and send you back home faster than my 4th grade gym teacher after I shit my pants. Wait, does it really say that in the script? What the f Maxi leads with an Intimidate Tyranitar followed by Flygon, Gengar, Arcanine, Exegutor, and Entei. Arcanine and Entei both sport the lovely 100 base power extreme speed. Entei and Chlorophyll Exegutor both run Ancient Power. If either of these get a single Ancient Power boost, you will wipe. Entei also has buffed Special Attack and Sacred Fire, which is basically a fire blast that can't miss and burns 50% of the time in Emerald Kaizo. This legendary dog is an absolute menace. He does not fuck around and will wipe you if it scores a single crit on you. Most fighting types in this game can't kill Tyranitar after an Intimidate. This is why many runs choose to use their White Herb here, which neutralizes the Intimidate attack drop. However, you only get one White Herb throughout the entire run and it's incredibly useful on Glacium, a fight arguably harder than Maxi 2. I find a different strategy here. Luckily, my Polyrath's IVs are just enough to outspeed and kill Tyranitar with superpower, even after the Intimidate. This baits an Arcanine, who usually can only Solar Beam here, but the AI is really weird about Solar Beam in the Sun, so it will sometimes not choose it despite it being the highest damage move. Because of this, the incoming Salamence Pivot takes an unnecessary amount of damage. This switch is still important though, as I want to use Salamence's Intimidate to reduce Arcanine's damage potential with extreme speed, to discourage Maxi from using it later on in the fight. Rapidash can then switch in on the guaranteed HP Ice and Drill Run. Now I could just go for an easy kill here, but I don't want to bring out Executor yet. It would want to Ancient Power my Rapidash, which risks it getting a 10% boost and wiping my team. Instead, I pivot Poliwrath, which is now guaranteed to bait a Solar Beam after taking more chip damage, into Salamence, scoring a kill with Rock Slide and baiting out Maxi's Flygon. I have to sacrifice a Pokemon here, as nothing can tank a crit Draco Meteor from Flygon. Did I mention that enemies got Draco Meteor in this game? It's 140 base power recoil. Absolute insanity. Rapidash, as most fire types, is pretty low value after this section and pulls a Bruce Willis, sacrificing itself to the Meteor. Castform can now come in and get a clean kill with Ice Beam, baiting out Executor. Chlorophyll means I'm outsped here. However, Castform needs to stay in and dodge a crit for this fight to run smoothly. Executor currently sees Psychic as doing more damage than Ancient Power and I would really like to keep it that way to not get Omniboost swept. Castform dodges the crit and gets a kill with a massive damage weather ball. It does however get its special defense drop. Had Executor gotten the crit here, I had a pretty safe contingency plan with Salamence. Maxing needing to get two crits in a row here to end my run. Next is boss monster Ante. If he sees a kill with extreme speed, a priority move he will always go for it, even if other moves kill. However. I see that only half of all potential extreme speed damage rolls can kill Castform at this point, so here's what the decision tree for Entei looks like. Half of the time, it will find the killing e-speed roll on Castform and simply go for it. In case it doesn't find the roll, it'll see a kill with either Sacred Fire because of the earlier special defense drop, or Ancient Power, so it'll use either of those moves 25% of the time. I'm in trouble if he 1 in 16 maximum rolls both Sacred Fires on Torpool, or finds the 10% Omni boost on Ancient Power. I don't have to worry about crits because of shell armor. Both of these cases lose me the run right then and there. This will happen about 3% of the time here. However, switching to Torkoal, I get the best possible result with him just going for the extreme speed. I can now simply explode my own Torkoal, wiping Entei off the face of the earth in a heroic sacrifice from the turtle. Finally, Alakazam can outspeed and kill Maxi's Gengar. Two deaths to Maxi. Five in total in Hideout is pretty damn good, especially considering the quality of Pokemon I lost. All this without a Ghost type or a Victory Bell on my team. I'm past one of the hardest parts of the game and have all the important tools to go forward. It's officially a run. Septal gets a couple of nasty one KOs on our way through Aqua Hideout, and we open up our way eastward. Chapter five: Around the world in 15 encounters. Beating Aqua Hideout opens up almost the entire rest of Hoenn to me. There are a lot of encounters to get here. I get access to Route 122. 124, 125, 126, 127, 128, 129, 130, 131, 132, 133, as well as Moss Deep City, Shoal Cave, and Pacific Log Town, and also the Super Rod, which now gets me access to the Super Rod encounters I want on Route 108 and 122. I've been delaying these so far. For all these routes, I need to decide if I get a Surfing, Old Rod, Good Rod, or Super Rod encounter, and in what order to get them in. This is called encounter routing, and it's a basic nuzlocking skill if you're playing with duplicate claws. Imagine a scenario in which you have two routes. Route 1 has 99% Rotata and 1% Mewtwo. Route 2 has 50% Rattata and 50% Pidgey. You're playing with duplicate claws, so duplicate encounters can be skipped until you find a non-duplicate encounter. What route should you get your encounter on first? Write your answer in the comments now. Okay, ready? Obviously, you would get your route 2 encounter first. If you get the 50% Rattata encounter, you are now guaranteed a Mewtwo on Route 1. Getting Route 2 therefore gives you a 50% chance of getting a Mewtwo. Route 1 will only give you a 1% chance of getting a Mewtwo. Now expanding this principle onto the remaining routes of the game is what makes this section so interesting. The biggest problem is that this culprit will keep cropping up. Quillfish can explode and essentially cost me an entire encounter once again. The biggest priority though is maximizing our chance to get our next Elite Four member, Shell Armor Slowbro. It gets the healing move slack off, the shell armor ability, which prevents crits, and the move recycle, meaning it can regenerate leppa berries, making it by far the best stall Pokemon in the game. Shout out to runner Dexa for coming up with this silly four strategy. I start by super rotting on Route 108, guaranteeing a whale encounter because the only other encounter here is Sharpedo, which I already have. I now have an OP Wailord of my own. Route 126 gets us a guaranteed slow poke with the old rod. The problem is that shell armor is not guaranteed. Slowpoke can either have the ability Own Tempo, which it will keep throughout evolution, or Oblivious, which becomes Shell Armor. Own Tempo prevents a Pokémon from being confused. I can therefore just check the Slowpoke for the proper ability by confusing it. If it can't be confused because of Own Tempo, I kill it and try again on a different route. However, I win the coin flip for the ability on the first try, granting us one of the most important Pokémon, Nurse, the Slowbro. We pick up the guaranteed Shellder by fishing with an Old Rod in Moss Deep. This prevents exploding Cloisters from being our potential encounter in the future. Route 125 gives us a guaranteed Celio. We then try to maximize our chances of encountering Glalie and Shoal Cave, as an exploding Glalie is usually the safest Tate and Liza strategy. Instead, I pick up a Pillow Swine, which is completely useless. I have an 88% chance to encounter Lanterns surfing on Route 128, and I get it. Luckily, it's Volt Absorb too, but I would have caught Illuminate here too just to remove it from the encounter table. Now, it all becomes about maximizing our chances to catch a Quillfish. This improves our chances of getting both Gengar and mischievous and gives us Quillfish itself, which not only is excellent in the upcoming rain sections, but is also a fantastic explosion Pokemon for double battle boss fights. So here's how I set up the optimal Quillfish route. I Super Rod in Pacific Log 10 for a guaranteed Omistar. I actually get Swift Swim here too, which is perfect. Now that I have Omistar, I can guarantee the Mantine on 129 with the Old Rod. And look at this, it's also Swift Swim. Now that I have both Mantine and a Tentacruel from earlier in the run, I can guarantee the Quillfish encounter on Route 127. The Pokemon to defuse the Sea Mine is going to be Blastoise, he can do some free damage with Fake Out and only dies to explosion crit. If I do lose Blastoise, it's not a huge deal. I catch Quillfish, and it's Swift Swim as well. This is quite possibly the best day of encounters I've ever had in Emerald Kaizo. Having a Quillfish now guarantees a Super Rod Ghastly encounter on Route 122. I pick up a pretty useless guaranteed Pelipper on 124 and Octillery on 130. Route 132 gives me a guaranteed Staryu thanks to having Quillfish and Mantine. Starmie is excellent. Not being able to get it because I hadn't gotten the Quillfish yet would have been disastrous for the run. 131 gives me a very nice 83% chance to encounter another Ghost-type in Misdreavus, which I end up getting. The last route is 133, which I delayed because the only encounter there is Lapras, which is very dangerous to capture and doesn't provide anything right now. If I end up needing this, I can always come back when my level cap is higher. Chapter six. I've planted five bombs around Hoenn. Can you find them all? Let's go to Moss Deep Gym. All gym turners here are mandatory double battles that utilize some sort of gimmicky mechanic. There's a lot of pivoting, pre-damaging to big kills into a switch, and in quite a few of the battles I use Skill Swap mischievous to my advantage. On the fourth battle here, I lose my artillery. I had to sacrifice it to save Caesar from having to dodge a crit. There's some more cheesy stuff like Parish Song spam plus Shadow Attack Pokémon, but if you plan for these correctly, it's really not a big deal. Let's go to the main event here with the twins Tate and Liza, who lead their double battle team with... Latias and Latios. Yep. However, at this point in the game, I get to shift into a much more offensive gear. I'm very deep into the game, and I'm past the arguably hardest pre-Elite 4 section in Maxi 2. I can sacrifice a ton of Pokemon. You can't just willy-nilly throw any old Pokemon at these boss fights. There's still some incredibly difficult sections coming up. But if you know enough about the games to understand what's valuable and what isn't, you can just rush these late-game double battles down. We lead Cloyster and Gengar. Do you see where this is going? That's right, I'm planning to explode... my Gengar. Latios and Latios both go down, and Cloyster's massive defense stat and battle armor ability mean that it always lives the blow here. I can then send in Mistrovis on the dead Gengar slot, and the twins send out Gardevoir and Medicham. But here's the plot twist. It's still turn one. Cloyster hasn't even attacked yet. That's right, there was a second bomb this entire time. Tate and Liza are down to two Pokemon. I'm down to four. I killed two thirds of their team in one turn. The gym leaders now have Starmie and Jirachi left, which are still not trivial to deal with. Jirachi has Serene Grace, doubling his chance to get Ancient Power boosts at 20%. If it gets any of these off, Jirachi can still easily sweep my team. I target Starmie down with Thunderbolt and Shadow Ball, killing it and only leaving the Steel Psychic Mythic on the field, which does not get an AP boost. Raichu now leaves the field for Fan as I get a Shadow Ball defense drop on Jirachi with Misdreavus. Did I mention that Shadow Ball has changed to drop defense instead of special defense in this ROM hack? I love this, it makes so much more sense with Ghost being a physical type. There are small details in this run, is is really what makes it such an amazing game. Jirachi gets an attack boost with Meteor Mash and brings Mistreavus into red, not ideal whatsoever. It sees a kill with both Ancient Power and Meteor Mash on Mistreavus now. I want to Earthquake with Donphan to get the kill, but this will hit my side as well. The logical choice is to switch to Salamence, who is immune to Earthquake, but Salamence will die if Jirachi gets a crit. The other play is to use Pain Split with Mistreavus, which will heal it out of Ancient Power range, but not out of Meteor Mash range. Mr. Viz would have a 50% chance to die. As Mr. Viz is my only ghost type for the foreseeable future, I decided to make the safest play and sacrifice Raichu, who has much less value at this point. It's all about protecting your important encounters in Emerald Kaizo late game. I take the seventh badge. Time to clear out the Space Center from Team Magma. I assume they want to crash the moon into earth to create more land or some shit. I really don't know, I don't read the dialogue. We have to fight Maxi one more time here, but this time it's in a double battle with Tabitha while we're joined by Steven. You can only bring three Pokemon to this fight. Luckily, this is where Shell Armor Slowbro really starts to shine. Unfortunately, though, Steven is still a useless piece of shit in this fight. Our Stormy takes out Tabitha's Gengar while Taros hits us with an earthquake. Stormy then hits an incredibly important hydro pump on Tabitha's Charizard. Missing this hydro pump would have gotten me into very hot water. Get it? D- do you get it? Hot water? Because <laughs> I have a team of water types and it's a fire type? Do you get it? Do you get, it's a, it's like a, it's like a pun, like a, like a play on words. It's like, do you get it? Do you get the joke? Do you get the fucking joke? Do you fucking get the joke? Tabitha sends in her Salamence, while Steven just mindlessly is clicking fucking fly with his Aerodactyl every turn. Starmie still isn't dead to any double edge ranges from Taurus, so I click Ice Beam to kill Salamence. Taurus takes out Steven's useless Aerodactyl and replaces it with a much more useful Starmie, as I swap out my Starmie for Slowbro, who can then easily tank and take down Maxie's three remaining Pokémon. We now have access to Dive in Zootopolis City. Here awaits us the next member of the Elite Four team. I can guarantee a Lotad, Lombre, or Ludicolo encounter here if I repel with a level 60 Pokemon. Because Parasect isn't great after Winona, I intentionally never level it after this point to just keep it at level 60. I catch it in, its stats are really bad. Ludicolo's stats are some of the most important on an Elite Four team. This one doesn't even have enough speed to outspeed Glacia's Dugong, and not enough special attack to want to kill her Swampert with Magical Leaf, which are the two major things it needs to do in this fight. Let's put it this way, someone choosing their Pokemon stats for the Elite Four would never have gotten this Ludicolo. Wait. What's... No. No I, I can't, no, not again, not again, not again, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You'll be different. It'll be different this time. I'll keep you safe, bartender. Next up is Seafloor Cavern, which has permanent rain akin to the sun in Flannery's Gym or Magma Hideout. My headcanon is that it's raining inside here because the cave is under the ocean and the water is leaking through the ceiling. These trainers have tons of powerful water Pokemon with the Swift Swim ability and electric types with Thunder that are guaranteed to hit in the rain. This is also where I get a guaranteed muck encounter. Things go south on Grunt 2 here. Donphan is able to take out the first two Pokemon bringing out Golduck who sets up a Calm Mind. It crits my Waylord, lives on actual literally one HP, and crits my Lantern back to back to back. I decided I'd have to sacrifice my Xplode here to get a kill with Dawnfan's Ice Shard. In situations like this, it's extremely important not to let your nerves get to you. That that could have potentially ended my run, had I not played carefully and cut my losses by sacrificing something. But a much, much greater disaster was looming on the horizon. Cue the fourth grunt fight. He has a Slaking. Misfrevis pivots into the guaranteed double edge, setting up a loaf turn for a free switch to Swallow, who just outspeeds with Fly on the turn the Slaking can attack. I even remembered to actually teach Fly this time. So take the free kill on Slaking, which baits the AI into... Wait, sorry, what? Yeah. Thunder can hit you when you're flying. I simply forgot about that when planning for this fight. Swellow was a core member of my planned Elite Four team, and by far my strongest Pokemon for single battles. This is really bad. This run just went from amazing to having a good chance of dying in the Elite Four and any additional mistake of this magnitude might mean that I don't even get there in the first place. It's all right. I still have an amazing Salamence and Shell Armor Slowbow. Things could be much worse still. There's also one more potential encounter to pull us out of this. It's okay. No time to question my moves. I'll stick to the path that I choose. To understand why these rain sections are relatively easy compared to the sun sections, you have to understand that you're given so many more tools that you can use in the rain yourself. You catch a ton of water types in this game, and a lot of them get access to Swift Swim. On this fight against Admin Shelly, I use Swift Swim, Relicanth, Ludicolo, and Quillfish to cut Shelly's team into sushi. On to the absolutely terrifying Archie fight. This fight looks so, so scary. It's still raining here, and he leads with both Raikou and Suicune, who either want to set up Call Mines or just immediately nuke your team from orbit. Here's how I got around them. We lead with both Muk and Omastar. Notice that Omastar is not at full HP. This is because I want it to always be dead to Hidden Power Grass from both Raikou and Suicune to keep Muk safe on turn 1. Also notice how Muk is only level 75. This is deliberate as I want to exactly always kill Raikou and never kill Suicune. Suicune has battle armor so I don't have to worry about critting it. We use Dive on Omistar to dodge the incoming Hidden Powers, as Muk explodes killing Raikou and putting Suicune into red HP. The positions that my Pokémon are in are actually really important here. Had Muk died in slot 2, Archie would consider its corpse for the switch in Logic half the time. Because Muk died in slot 1, I get to choose my replacement first, and I choose Relicanth, meaning that no matter what Archie's coin lands on, he will always send in Dragonite to replace Raikou. Relicanth can now pick off Dragonite with Head Smash, while Omistar Dive picks off Suicune bringing out Metagross and Quillfish for Archie. Rollicamp is too valuable to risk at this point, so I switch it for Ludicolo to tank the Quillfish and Metagross attacks. Metagross wastes a turn protecting, while Omastar gets some chip damage with Ancient Power. Quillfish is now guaranteed to gunkshot Ludicolo as it sees a kill. Metagross will either Earth Power Omastar or Sludge Bomb Ludicolo. Magneton comes in to tank the Poison moves for Ludicolo, while Omastar Ancient Powers again, and gets an Omni boost. It's now the fastest Pokemon on the field. Woohoo! Let's go! Magnatron is pre-damaged to always a kill from Metagross and Quillfish, so I can simply switch back to Ludi on another Hydro Pump Earth Power combo, while Omistar gets the kill on Quillfish. Ignoring the Metagross in this fight is extremely good because half the time it'll click Protect anyway, so it doesn't really have a lot of damage potential. I was very much planning to sacrifice Omistar earlier in this fight, but it really wants to keep going. Ludicolo leaves the field again, this time for Slowbro, who can tank anything Archie will throw at it. Omistar now dodges a Yawn from Kingdra, gets even more damage done. Slowbro Psychic brings Kingdra down to red health, Slowbro now leaves everything, even Draco Meteor from Kingdra, and can't get crit. As Slowbro tanks, Omastar finishes off Kingdra, and the next turn Metagross. The final evil team fight of the game is down. Weather update. It's raining. Severe flooding alert. The entire world is now an ocean. What does that mean? Anyway, let's get our last and most important Elite Four member. Cave of Origins gives the player access to a guaranteed Duskull encounter. An Emerald Kaizo Elite Four without Dusk Lops, is pretty close to unbeatable because of the champion fight. Remember that Dusclops has pretty significantly buffed stats in this game. I luckily encounter a low-level Duskull and have an easy time catching it. However, it has pretty bad IVs and, and an even worse nature. Most importantly, this does not have enough attack to consistently kill Drake's Latios with Shadow Ball and to Shadow Snake, which is a huge breaking point for the Elite Four. We also get a Zatu and Sky Pillar, which isn't important for anything, but I've always wanted to point out how Zatu's wing looks like Among Us, so it stays in the script. There's also, like, dinosaurs fighting in Sutopolis City, but... One of them is standing on this like tiny island, which honestly is alpha as fuck to me. Anyway, a third dinosaur comes out of the sky, which makes the other two leave. I can only assume this is because the red one shit his pants, really, is the entire, is the rest of the, is every single joke in the rest of the script just about someone shitting their pants. Zootopolis Gym also has permanent rain, but honestly, this is just an easier seafloor cavern. Dust Dusclops with earthquake, absorb lantern and quacksire, the occasional skill swap from mischievous to get swift swim or huge power off, make all of this pretty doable. On Ranger Andrea, I make a small mistake while pivoting and have to risk my Pelipper on a 50-50, which I lose. Oh no, not the Pelipper. Also, this Magneton went crazy on me on Triathlete Brianna, and I had to sacrifice Omastar. That one hurt a little bit more. Did I mention that Zootopolis has two gym leaders in this game? First you fight Wallace in a single battle, then Juan in a double battle. He leads with a Kingdra with Draco Meteor. Normally, this would be terrifying, but Slowbro can just heal through these with Slack Off while Kingdra slowly takes itself out with recoil damage. Slowbro baits Wallace's Cast Form, which always wants to Thunder. I can safely switch Sceptile in here. I damaged Sceptile before the fight to the exact HP amount where Thunder will always hit it into Overgrow range, no matter what damage Cast Form rolls on Thunder. Cast Form gets the crit and paralysis, but even that we're prepared for. Sceptile then one to kill his cast form, and baits out Lapras. Because Sceptile got a crit, Lapras now sees a kill with all four of its moves, but Lantern can luckily take any of them. Wallace gets another crit with Ice Beam as I switch in. I Thunderbolt bringing Lapras down to half health. However, in an unexpected maneuver, Wallace switches out Lapras for Swampert.
1: Hey guys, Wolfie here again. So remember earlier when I said that the Pokemon Emerald AI never switches out? Well, I lied there's actually a really specific situation in which I, the Emerald AI, can sometimes switch. If a Pokemon is faster than mine, just hit me with a move that a Pokemon on my team has a resistance or immunity to, and if that Pokemon also has a super effective move against the Pokemon that just hit me, then and only then can I sometimes switch out. And, well, that's what the Emerald AI just did here.
0: This throws a huge wrench in my plans. I switch ludicolo in on the incoming earthquake and fake out for some extra damage i then click magical leaf which unfortunately can never kill because this ludicolo is so goddamn trash swampert has two more moves it can go for here ancient power or yawn we're prepared for yawn with a chesto berry there is however one line here that leads us to losing the entire run if swampert gets the omni boost with ancient power making it faster than ludicolo and then crits the next turn, it sweeps the rest of my team. It's about a 1 in 640 for this to happen. That's so low. There's no way this would ever happen, right? Right? Yeah, right, it it didn't happen. He just yawned, missed, and I killed it. Lapras now comes back in and sees the super effective hidden power bug. It can also use Ice Beam here though, as the two are similar in damage. I can simply pivot through Quillfish to bait a thunder and send in a Lantern for some healing and a kill. Next is Ludicolo, who sees a kill with Giga Drain. There's no good pivot here, unfortunately, so Lantern has to be sacked. This is fine, Lantern's usefulness has pretty much run its course. Quillfish can then come in for free, take out Ludicolo with a gunk shot. Wallace's last Pokemon is Melodic, and it's incredibly annoying. It's very bulky and will spam hypnosis and recover. To dodge going to sleep forever, I paralyzed Wailord before this fight and try to whittle down Melodic with Hyper Voice. I can then eventually switch Quillfish in and finish Melodic off with a huge gunk shot. The path to Juan is now open, time for some fireworks. We lead it with Fake Out from Blastoise to prevent Lapras from using Thunder and self Destructor Waylord, which kills everything on the field, making the fight an instant 4v4. I go straight into Quillfish Misdreavus, and explode the Pufferfish killing two more of Juan's Pokemon, while leaving Misdreavus on the field. Tentacruel and Misdreavus take care of Juan's Ludicolo, and his Vaporeon eventually falls to Bartender. Okay, I have 8 badges. My level cap is 100, so no more XP management necessary. Time to collect my final encounters and make my way towards the Pokemon League. Chapter 7 Berserker. Let's talk Elite Four teams. Right now, the plan is to use the following six Pokemon. Salamence, Slowbro, Wobbuffet, Ludicolo, Dusclops, and Relicant. This, I would say, is a very standard, very average Emerald Kaizo Elite Four team. There is a lot of room for improvement. First up is Evergrande City, where I encounter a Wild Blaziken. If this has excellent stats, this is an easy inclusion on an Elite Four team. Someone maliciously manipulating their team's stats to cheat would probably give this viable IVs. I don't know why I felt the need to include that in the script. But anyway, this plays again cannot speed Steven Storaci, so we will not make the team. There are two more ways I can go to improve this team. Ideally, I really want a good normal type to replace Swellow, specifically for the Sydney fight and Drake's Latios. The best possible encounter for this is the 2% Snorlax encounter on Route 123. This, however, is incredibly difficult to catch as it gets Whirlwind. The way around this is Suction Cups Cradley, which is a guaranteed encounter in Meteor Falls. Alternatively, I can guarantee a Melodic encounter in Meteor Falls. A good Melodic can potentially replace Slowbro. It leads into a much worse Glacia, but a safer Drake. It all depends on Melodic stats, though. The 2% chance of Snorlax is a little bit too low for my taste, and I'd rather take a stab at a good Melodic. However, the Melodic I get is… trash. We're almost certainly using the Slowbro Wavifit team now. There's a few more busted encounters at Route 123, though. a waterfall blocks Route 123 and Emerald Kaizo, but I can now scale it. However, the Patch of Grass is blocked by a gauntlet of double battles. Luckily, none of these fights are too hard as I have a massive level advantage and can now start very aggressively sacrificing Pokemon. I end up sacrificing Huntail, Magneton, the newly acquired Blaziken, and Walrein to get through safely. My Route 123 encounter ends up being a Tauros, which is not considered for the Elite Four. I also pick up the Gigadrain TM for Ludicolo. Our final team for this league is locked in now, and I have all of my encounters. I know what encounters need to be protected. This means I'm free to sacrifice every Pokemon in my box to Victory Road trainers if it gives me safer fights. Knowing this, I can just plan the 17 battles in Victory Road backwards, starting with the last trainer. This way, I know what I need for which battle and when it's safe to sacrifice something for tempo. There's actually a fight against Red in Victory Road where he uses a bunch of legendaries, but thanks to our level advantage and a strategic polywrath sacrifice, this fight is very doable. However, I run into trouble on Expert Julie. My Pillow Swine puts her Metagross into Leech Barrier range, giving it plus one attack, as it doubles its speed with agility. This thing is about to sweep my entire team if I'm not very careful. I sacrifice Pillow Swine and send in Dawnfen, hoping that Metagross will explode because it's on low HP. I switch to Golem to catch the explosion and Golem dies. I was planning to use Golem in a later fight, so I have to replan a little bit. Expert Felix is a very scary double battle, but I push past by exploding Electra and sacrificing Mistrobus. The scariest fight here though is the final one with Wind Vito, and I make an insanely irresponsible mistake here. I decide to stall slacking with Salamence Fly, which fulfilled all of the conditions that the AI needs to switch. As Salamence flies up, Vito switches to his Metagross, who is now about to send a super effective rock slide towards my Elite 4 Pokemon. If he crits, I lose Salamence for the Elite 4 and my chances plummet. (sighs) Oh my god. (sighs) Okay, yep, that was a possibility that I forgot about. Never punished, though, it's fine. I make it out of Victory Road with all the tools I need to beat the Elite Four. This is it, the final team. Exorcist, Nurse, Moderator, Historian, Mailman, and Bartender. Chapter 8, A Sisyphean Tale 150 failed attempts, over 1,000 hours, over the course of more than a year of my life. And it could all end here, just like it did on Attempt 77. The day I woke up for the Elite Four, I was legitimately shaking. I knew that there were so many things that could go wrong, even if I played perfectly. I did some napkin math the night before, and knew that even with perfect play, my chances were probably around 60% to win. One small mistake would send that number plummeting, though. Here we go. Let's start at Sydney. He leads with a sable eye, which has been buffed to a comical degree in this game sporting nearly twice the bulk of Mega Sableye, and more than 50% more attack. This thing is an absolute monster, and it doesn't have a single type as its weakness. There's really only one way to consistently beat this. I have to stall. We will use the synergy between Slowbros and Salamence's abilities, Shell Armor and Intimidate here. By pivoting back and forth between Salamence and Relicanth, who take turns taking Brick Breaks and HP Rocks, I get Sableye down to minus 3 attack, which is the sweet spot. I don't want Salamence to take too much damage. Sableye's damage is reduced significantly, and it can't crit through the attack drops on Slowbro's shell armor ability. I can toxic it and just spam Slack off until it dies. Sydney's team is quite scary, but the most scary Pokemon after Sableye is Houndoom. None of my Pokemon outspeed or kill this, and they all die to a crit. Because of this, I want Houndoom to come out as early as possible so the team is as healthy as it can be. To bait it out, I switch to Relicanth, the turn that Sableye dies. Houndoom sees the super effective Hidden Power Grass and comes out. I send Salamence in safely on the quad resist. If Salamence gets crit here, I lose the run. HOLD IT! SALAMENCE HOLDS! YES! After this, I get a completely free kill on Sydney's Machamp. because our Salamence has maximum attack, it can simply air slash for a kill here. Even slightly less attack would not have guaranteed this. Sydney sends in Jolteon, which wants the Thunderbolt. Dusclops can come in here and kill with Earthquake and Shadow Sneak. I do lose the run to either double crit or double paralysis here. Next up is Sydney's Tauros. I pivot through Relicanth and Salamence for an Intimidate into Slowbro, who can easily outheal the minus one attack bull during a Toxic stall. Last is Alakazam. My only way to deal with this is Wobbuffet. If it low rolls, Wobbuffet Mirror Coat will leave it alive. I need to do just a little bit of extra damage, so I switch to Ludicolo, fake out, and then go to Wobbuffet to kill. One Elite Four member, down. Phoebe or Freebie, as she's known to most EK runners, provides a bit of fresh air. Some parts are scary, but mostly we're going to stall her out. First up is her Gengar. Since turn one Destiny Bond is impossible, I can go with a clean kill with Lumberry Dusclops here, Shadow Ball into Shadow Sneak. Here comes Phoebe's Dusclops. This one has Double Team and Rest, which if you're not prepared for, is a run killer. I will do what I have to do and completely PP stall this thing. The first step is to get it to minus three attack by pivoting between Relicanth and Salamence and bring in the Nurse. The advantage I have over this Dusclops here is PP. Slowbro is holding a Leopard Berry, which restores 10 PP of a move when a Pokemon runs out of it. I can then use Recycle to get back my last used Hell item with the Lepeberry. With this combination, I effectively have infinite PP if I time my recycles correctly. I completely stall Dusclops out of PP. Once it's one turn away from dying to Toxic, I switch to Exorcist to bait Phoebe's Sableye. This one is a little bit more risky to stall out. As always, I pivot Relicanth to Salamence for the Intimidate. I need to go back into Relicanth because I need another Intimidate to pull this off, but a Relicanth is in crit range of Shadow Ball. Sableye is more likely to double team anyway, so I risk it. I get it to minus three and bring in Slowbro. I want to Toxic as soon as possible before it sets up too many double teams and get a lucky second hit. Sableye, however, gets a defense drop, and now I make a pretty crucial misplay. I click Disable, which hits Sableye's Recover. This means that Salamence, who has to be out when Sableye dies, is more likely to switch into a Shadow Ball crit. There's no way around it. I have to risk this. Salamence holds! Salamence gets the clean outspeed and kill on Ludicolo, and brings out Phoebe's Crobat. I intimidate, bring out Slowbro, and after 25 minutes of stalling, Crobat starts struggling and I can bring Dusclops to Ice Beam it down. Dusclops safely kills her final Pokemon Gardevoir, and I'm officially two Elite Four members deep. The bad news is that this was by far the easy part, but I have to push forward. Glacia is absolutely, horribly terrifying. Her room has permanent rain, in an Elite Four that doesn't afford you to bring a full rain team yourself. If you lose any Pokemon in this fight, you are likely not making it past Drake. At this point, I had nearly 30,000 people watching me live. I've never been this nervous in my entire life. I don't think I would be doing the drama and emotions of the next part justice in a post-commentary, and I think I did a pretty good job breaking the strategies down live. If you made it this far in the video, thank you so much. If you liked it, please consider subscribing. I have about 5,000 hours of nuzlocking experience, and what follows were... By far the most intense Pokemon battles of my life. I really hope you enjoy them. So, this is the reason we kept the one White Herb that is in the entire game. There is only one instance of this. White Herb eliminates the Intimidate here, which means we get rid of that attack drop. We get to head smash this for a guaranteed kill through Swift Swim. She goes Regice. And we get to kill that too. Now, there's a slight issue, chat. It is 15 out of 16 rolls to kill. If we miss this range, we're not completely fucked, but things are looking real fucking bad.
3: Okay!
0: All right, last time this dugong is what fucked us. We have a different plan for it this time. Slow bro, show him what you're made of, baby. Now I did say that was the last PP stall. I did not say that it was the last toxic stall, chat. This is in fact the last toxic stall. Got to add two Toxics because this is like every other Pokemon in this Elite Four, Lumberry. This might end up turning into a PP stall after all. huh? So yeah, we have the Berry still. So we're going to go to Wobbuffet here because we don't need Wabafet's HP on this fight to bait the HP, or to take the HP grass and bait a Surf for Ludicolo. This positioning means we'll go Lapras and after a Giga Drain we'll be full HP, which means we're not dead to crit... yet. We're not going to fake out, because Giga Drain always 3-8 KOs. I'm going to triple confirm this real quick. Which means we'll have more HP recovered on the final Giga Drain. Alright, we can die to crit here if we low roll and then he crits... My boy, Ludi! This is your chance, buddy! Redeem yourself! That is a good-ass roll! Redeem yourself! Yes! Bartender! Serving us a dub! That's fine. We have a Lepa Berry equipped, so we have more than enough slack off PP. We're not going to use any other moves here. There's no reason to. Just slack off. Time to count water spout PP chat. That's one. He has eight total. Hold slow, bro. Hold that shit, buddy. Don't defense drop. Okay, we're fine. And that's eight. If we counted correctly. The only moves Waylord has left are hyper voice, self-destruct and amnesia. You guys have one guess as to who is switching in now. Just blow up you piece of shit, please <sighs> Thank you. Dustclops always beats muddy water or yawn here. There's still a lose condition here. Muddy Water accuracy drop puts us in a really awkward spot where we have to just click Giga Drain and hope that we don't miss and hit the range. Let's just not get Muddy Water to get dropped, huh? Let's just... let's just not do that. Can we just double Magical Leaf? It risks crit, and he can get an AP boost. We do still have our Lumberry. I do believe that Giga Drain is just an int. Missing Giga Drain is a higher chance than getting crit. Hold it, Ludi. Hold it! (sighs) This isn't happening. This isn't fucking happening again! Just crit is what fucks us here. That's a crit. Okay. Unlucky boys. This drake is gonna be really fucking rough. I cannot believe Ludi got crit on Glacia again. I don't know what the optimal Slowbro HP is. We can only end in HP values that he- end on two. Optimal is 318. The reason we want that is because Kingdra's Draco Meteor is a chance to two it KO. So if we switch it in, he low rolls, we don't proc wiki berry, don't heal, and then he high rolls, we die. I think we just want to get as close to 318 as possible. We're gonna need some really good RNG on Drake now. And I mean some really fucking good RNG. It's either 312... Wait. I'm so stupid. Oh no. That's probably gonna cost me the run. I choked it. The amount of RNG we needed just got increased by quite a lot. Come on! We just need a little bit of luck! First and foremost, I need Wobbuffet to hold. HE HOLDS! Alright, that was a prerequisite to staying alive. All right, we really really need this to not be ancient power. <sighs> punished. Actually punished. Actually fucking punished. <sighs> it's fine. This might be Sack Men's. Wait. Wait. Rock Tomb? Rally is faster. I don't think. Yeah, we- I think we kill after recoil. Oh no. Fuck, hold on. I'm not faster. I think I need to go for Rock Slide Flinch. I think this is Men's Sack. This gives me the most outs. I kill after Rock Slide, yeah. It's 40% minimum roll on minus one 70% after dragon flow. I think this is the play. Unlucky. Low roll me, come on. That's really low. That's really fucking low. Again, the crit word doesn't matter. Never dead to earthquake. Dragon Dance is insane here. YES! This is a range, by the way. Are you fucking kidding me?! This is so scary. fucking scary. I can actually get fucked by my hyper be uh, hyper potion play now too please just high roll please just fucking high roll please just fucking high roll dude please 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 please, please. come on come on just proc my wiki berry Not out. Hold this shit slow, bro. Hold this shit real fucking tight, man. We lose to missing the range with Dusclops. Unfortunately. Hold this shit, man! The good news is it might be like hidden power from Latias. Remember, if he kills himself with Draco Meteor, the turn ends and we do not get to slack off. This works in our favor here. Just put me into HP fire range, 50 HP or less. Sick! HP fire just fucking HP fire Fuck we lose to missing the range now Or maybe not Maybe not. Shell Bell actually paying off here. That is not good- YES! We're going to Steven! Okay! Furthest attempt! This is for attempt 77. This is for Flygon. For Bartender, for Historian, and for the max attack mailman, who really did deliver. If we get crit once, it's over. Let this glorious battle begin. We need to avoid crit and turn one explosion. That's pretty good HP. Is very fucking good HP, come on! Don't crit! YES! <laughs> come on! Only a little bit fucking more! I just need a little fucking more! It's not over, but we're so close! Sackwabafet My friend! Moderator! Swinging the band hammer like no other! Dusclops! Show him your true power. Show him what you fucking have. We have to dodge hydro pump crit. Come on. Yes! Okay! 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 We're so close! We're so fucking close! Just a tiny bit more. (sighs) Just a teensy tiny bit more. No attack boost. No crit. (sighs) Not over. Not fucking over. 138. We Shadow Sneak here. It gives us more healing from Shell Bell and a good range to survive. Two Shadow Balls will definitely put him into Flamethrower range for Slowbro. I think we have it. I have to hit it though. I have, to sh- I have to Shadow Sneak. It's my only play. I'm too... too likely to be dead at Meteor Mash. I think I'm gonna have to Shadow... I'm, I think I'm gonna have to Fire Blast. I think it's gonna have to come down to Fire Blast. Still one range that kills me. Plus crit. Easy. Sneak again. Uh, I don't think I can flamethrower this. I don't fucking think I can do it, man. It's ruler strat time, boys. 42 to 49% damage is what we need to do. I think we flamethrower. 1.6 centimeters on a 4.5 centimeter HP bar should be 35% if I am not measuring by 7 whole percent We flamethrower Careful now Yep, that is definitely 1.6 This is at 35% HP flamethrower deals a minimum of 42. I'm sending that shit boys. Serene Grace Paralysis. Not gonna matter, we have Lumberry anyway. OKAY! He can never kill us. We just heal. We take it slowly, baby. He can't crit. Shell Armor. Sky Attack. 132 on the max roll. Surf. 50-50 chance to kill. This is the victory lap, boys! This is the FUCKING victory lab! Exorcist! Getting rid of our demons! Nurse! Healing us to completion! Hit the fucking range! Hit it! We beat Emerald Kaizo!
3: Oh shit! Yes Yes <sighs> <laughs> I'm done
0: I'll never have to see this fucking game again. <laughs> Fucking over! 151 attempts! Almost a whole year down to a week. chat crashed. Kudos to you, you You're truly noble Pokemon trainer. Hey, thank you so much for coming along on this journey with me. Me playing Emerald Kaizo will forever be connected in my mind to the time in my life where I went from being five years into failing my college degree to being able to do YouTube and Twitch full-time. This game will always hold an incredibly special place in my heart. I don't know if it's possible, but I want to spend the next years of my career Dedicated myself to replicating whatever made this game so magical. Thanks again to NordVPN for sponsoring this video. Also, a huge shout out to Sinister Hooded Figure who made this crazy game, as well as all the insanely talented Emerald Kaizo runners who paved my way to the Hall of Fame of this game. Dexa, Runabun, LoopMail, GN97, and Decapod are some that come to mind. Also, a massive shout out to my mod Spegospars who co wrote this script as well as the one for the Emerald Kaiser wipe compilation. He went through an enormous amount of effort. Cataloging all the different attempts and chronicling exactly what happened in all of them. Super, super crazy. Also, massive thanks to Zerg who made all the animations in this video and to Vicento for editing the entire thing. Her Twitter is linked in the description. If you need any editing done ever, uh, I highly recommend her. She's a delight to work with. I think that's it. I really suck at these YouTube outros, so i um, just gonna end it here. Thanks for watching and see you soon. <laughs> I think the next big challenge is just around the corner.